And now we will turn to God's Word. We'll listen to what God has to say to us uh, through His servant Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we read together the first 11 verses of this uh, chapter. Beginning in verse 1, there read God's word. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As the divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which, having given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, and godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So far, reading from God's Word, and our text will be the verses 3 and 4 of our reading here. So let's just turn again to those words in verse 3 and 4. Peter writes, it says, As to his divine, let us start in verse 2, as to that's one whole sentence in your translation here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then begins our text, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here we are. Text for this morning. Congregation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. Many years ago, we were living in British Columbia. There were many summers that the, the cadets would uh, come into town. We lived in, in Chilliwack, BC. In order that they might practice flying their glider planes near the mountains. 
And so all day long, an airplane would tow the gliders up into the sky. And when they came to a certain altitude, the cable was released. And the glider would effortlessly glide through the air. There were some pilots who were very skillful, who were able to catch the updrafts on, near the mountains and were able to prolong their flight. But no matter which pilot, everyone after a short period of time would need to come back down to the ground. And so when you think about it, nobody would ever use a glider plane in order to try to make a trip across the country. You would never make it to your destination. Well, the image of those glider planes soaring through the skies and then having to come back down to earth reflects something of the problem that Peter is dealing with in the life of the believers to whom he is writing. See, there were people in the church, people who had made a commitment to Christ. But rather than faithfully living for the Lord, they began to just coast or to glide along in their spiritual way of life. Oh, they began their spiritual life with enthusiasm. But after a period of time, they began to allow themselves to coast along in that new life with the Lord God. Well, the problem with coasting along in our spiritual life is the same that those glider planes, those pilots in those glider planes had. After a while, you run out of altitude and you come back to earth. When we are just coasting along spiritually, there comes a point when our spiritual life collapses and it crashes. And so Peter's point is that believers are called to daily grow in a life of godliness. But you know what the danger is? That we get caught up in the daily things of life. When the cares and the concerns of life begin to take over in your life. They also overtake the spiritual aspects in your life. When our focus is now on other things, then the relationship that we have with the Lord God, then the relationship that we have with Christ gets pushed into the background. Finally, that relationship with the Lord Jesus no longer really functions anymore in your life. And so this morning, we will listen to God's word under this theme. As God's people, you're called to spiritual growth. As God's people, you're called to spiritual growth. Now, we often speak about spiritual growth in the church. But sometimes I wonder whether we're always talking about the same thing when we talk about spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth? Spiritual growth, learning to better follow God's laws and rules. Well, you know, the Pharisees, they excelled in that kind of, uh, that kind of life. Is the Christian life only about going to church twice on Sunday? Is it only about reading the Bible maybe a few times a day or maybe only once? Is the Christian life about praying at certain times, set times during the day? You know, when you look at other religions, other religions are very good at following rules. And why do they follow rules? Well, they follow the rules in order that they might appease their gods. Because they're afraid that their gods would be angry with them. And so you need to appease them by doing those good things. 
the question we have this morning, but, but is that also what the Christian religion, is that what also our religion is all about? Appeasing the anger, an angry God? Was it wrong of the Pharisees to obey the laws of God? Right? They were scrupulous. I and mean, we know about all the different rules they had to make sure that they kept all the laws of God. So is that what made the Lord Jesus so upset with them? Well, no, Jesus wasn't upset that they were trying to keep the law of God. The issue for the Lord Jesus was that they were making every effort to keep God's law because they thought that somehow they could earn their salvation by doing so and they could appease the anger of God. What we often don't realize, beloved, is that our Christian faith is much more uh, than just trying to appease God by living a good life. But a Christian life is an all-encompassing in our life. Being a Christian means that every single part of your life must be subject to the will of God, and also not only the outward things, but also the inward things, the things that live in your heart belongs to God as well. And yet there's a great danger for us as Christians is that, that we try to compartmentalize our lives into these different parts. Right? We, uh, we live as if our work life is one part of our life. And there we have a certain way of, that we live. And, and then there's another part of our life that we live at home with our family. And then we have an aspect of our life where we have entertainment. And, and, and perhaps we're busy with, with sports. And another part in which we deal, we're dealing with friendships. And then there's also that part that we think about is our Christian life. Where we, which are the things that we then do for God. But what happens? What happens is that that spiritual part of our life tends to get pushed out as the other parts of our life increasingly take on bigger and bigger roles and more and more important roles for us. Other parts and concerns take over the time that we have for scripture reading, for prayer, for worship, for worship on Sundays. And so what we find ourselves what we find happening to ourselves is we coast in our spiritual life. We think that we're still being spiritual. And the reality is that our spiritual life became, becomes like that of a glider plane. And after a while, we run out of altitude and we come crashing back down to the ground. Our spiritual life crashes. So the question that we have to ask with regard to what Peter writes is, so how does our spiritual life grow? Well, the quick answer most people give is, well, read your Bible more. Just pray more. Just be more faithful in coming to church, not just once, but twice. Just be better at following these rules and, and following these customs in your life. On the one hand, you can say, Oh, these, indeed, they are important things. We benefit from reading our Bibles more faithfully. We benefit from praying more fervently and faithfully worshiping on Sundays. And by living according to the law of God, well, that can be a blessing because that kind of keeps our, our lives somewhat grounded. But beloved, while all these things may be good, the sad reality is that when we decide to make a greater effort to do those things, what do you find happens? What happens is our resolve only lasts for a little while 
and quickly we fall back into the old patterns in which we're just coasting along again in our spiritual life. So the urgent question remains, how is spiritual growth in our life both possible and how is it sustainable? Well, before we answer that question, we first of all need to better understand the situation in which we find our own lives. First of all, what we need to understand is that spiritual growth is not possible in our own strength. It's not possible in your own strength. That's going to become very clear when you understand what our condition is, also in this, in this world in which we are living. Those are what Peter writes in verse 4. He says, through God's promises, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that was caused by evil desires or by lusts. Notice what Peter says here about our Christian life. He says, your Christian life is what? It is an escape from the corruption in this world, which is caused by your evil desires. That is the desires in your heart. In other words, the world in which we are living is a corrupt place. And so while some think Peter is talking here about escaping the world when we die and then we'll go to, to be with, with Christ and we'll escape the corruption of this world, that's not what Peter's thinking about. Peter's talking here about this present life in which we're living. He says a person who comes to faith has today escaped. You have escaped the corruption of this world. You see, beloved, the condition of this world is that all mankind are totally corrupted because of the evil desires of the heart. The problem with all human beings is the rebellious attitude against God that lives deep within us. Peter is saying here is all mankind has fallen into bondage to their evil, their selfish desires. And it is from this persuasive, this all-encompassing evil that we need to escape. That means, beloved, it means that spiritual growth can never, never take place in your life without, first of all, understanding the corruption and the evil that has taken place, that has taken over in your life. That's something we notice very, very strongly also when we're dealing in an admission context where new people are coming to, to the faith. Change never happens until people come to understand the deep corruption and evil that lives deep in their own hearts. That's why you cannot grow spiritually when, when you then also compartmentalize your life. That is, you chop your life into all those different areas that we talked about. You see, beloved, there's not just a, a spiritual part in, in your life, but your whole life, every part, must be taken over by the very Spirit of God. And if you only gave a small part of your life in the service to the Lord, the other parts of your life, they're going to overwhelm the spiritual part. And when you begin to understand that every area of life is, in your life is corrupt, then it will also become clear that our spiritual life Needs to, roll, needs to rule over every single part of our life. Beloved, your spiritual life is not limited to Sunday worship services. It's not limited to Bible reading. It's not limited to, to, to prayer. But it must also be part of your work life. 
It must be, your spiritual life must be part of your family life. Your spiritual life must determine the entertainment. It must determine the association that you have with your friends. You see what our greatest need is? Our greatest need is that we might escape the corruption in every aspect of our life and that lives in our heart. We need to escape that corruption that, is at, that we find at work. That we're not taken in by that corruption. We need to fight the corruption at home, in our social life, in our sports activities. In the way that we treat others on the ice or in the rink or in... Oh, on the field. It determines also your entertainment and the kind of TV shows and the movies that, that you watch. It's not a matter of fallen rules here. It's a matter of if, if you indeed are spiritual and you have that relationship with the Lord Jesus, you're not going to feel right about certain things. You're not going to be involved in those kinds of activities. You're not going to be listened to the kind of music that is not honoring and pleasing to God because it will offend you. And so all these different aspects of all these different aspects as parts of our life need to be liberated from the corruption of sin and evil. When God's spirit does not have an impact on every part of your life, then those other areas will also begin to influence the so-called spiritual part. When you leave God out of a part of your life, what you do is, is you're creating a vacuum and, and the devil knows how to move right in and fill uh, that empty space, that empty that vacuum. The evil desires will begin to take over in your life whenever you give it a chance. Once you become aware of the power of these sinful influences, and now the question is, so how can we grow and how can we indeed change when we know those, those influences are, are present in our lives? How is it possible to more and more place my whole life under the power and under the will of my God? How do I grow spiritually so that my whole life reflects that I am a faithful child of the Lord? How do I reflect more and more the holiness of my God? Oh, beloved... As soon as you understand how deep your corruption goes, it will become clear that the way forward is never, can never be in your own strength. That's why encouraging people to try harder, uh, to work harder, always fails and only becomes very discouraging for them. You know, if you, if you read your Bible more, if you pray more, if you go to church more, yes, those are all good things. In fact, the Lord even commands us to do those things. We are to read and study and to pray and to worship. But you need to understand, beloved, that is that those things are not what's going to change you. You need to ask yourselves, when the Lord Jesus came to this world, what did he come to do in this world? Of course, the very simple answer is he came to, to save us. All right, he came to give us salvation. But what is salvation? When we think of salvation, we often limit Christ's saving work to the fact, well, Jesus came to pay for my sins, and so God is no longer angry with me, and so God will give me eternal life. And that is all true, but there's much more to the saving work of the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save and to deliver me from the evil desires that 
corrupt our whole life. Beloved, Christ's salvation means that he comes to help us escape. Escape from the corruption that wants to take a hold of our lives. And so you see, the Lord Jesus doesn't just say, well, well, you know, I have now paid for your sins, and now go, go save yourself from your evil desires. That would be cruel if the Lord Jesus did that. Because there's not a single one of us who could do that. No matter how much we read the Bible, how much we may pray, no matter how many worship services that you may go to. Commentator explains, he says, salvation is deliverance from the evil power of human greed and passion. You see, this is the gospel message. Between today and the day that we die or the day the Lord Jesus Christ should return before we die, what is Christ doing? Christ is delivering us from the evil corruption of our sinful desires. God comes to deliver us from the evil desires that control us and that leads us on the path of our eternal destruction. Yes, we are called by God to escape the corruption of our sinful desires. And it is the Lord God himself who comes and who gives to you the power and who gives to you the ability to escape the grasp of those sinful desires that seek to only destroy your life for eternity. That's the point Peter makes in verse 3, where he says this, he says, Christ's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He says, Christ's divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life. That means, beloved, that as believers you have a mighty power at work in you. Jesus is the divine power. Divine means is a reference to the fact that he's God. So Jesus, who is God, is, his power is at work in your life, Peter says. And that means just as the people of Israel could not escape from Egypt without God's power at work among them long ago, so we as Christians today, we cannot escape the corruption that lives in our hearts without God's power at work within us. It is only possible to break free from the sinful desires of your heart through the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's wonderful, isn't it? But, but how? How do, how do I get this power of Christ? How does the power of Christ become mine? And Peter says it is through the knowledge of Christ who called us by his own glory and goodness or virtue. You think this power of Christ, we often think of it in a, in a nebulous way, it's somewhere out there. But Peter doesn't speak about Christ's power as some abstract power that is difficult to grasp. No, he says this power is at work in us. It comes to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has called you to himself. Well, he called you. What is Christ's call? Well, often people think about this call of Christ as just an, an invitation for people to come to Christ and they can take it or leave. It's so much uh, of the preaching that's happening to, today in, in churches throughout North America is that kind of preaching. It's, here's an invitation, now take it or leave it. 
And it's somehow up to us whether we're going to respond in a positive way. Now, indeed, you can say there, there is a general call, call of God to all mankind. But in the Scriptures, the call of God to His people is much more than that. Remember when the Lord Jesus called His disciples to come and to follow Him? What do you think when the Lord Jesus called them? Do you think that the Lord Jesus' heart was hoping? Hoping that maybe they might listen to Him? And if they didn't listen to him, then, well, the Lord Jesus had a second plan that he would go and he would try to invite another person to come follow him. It didn't happen that way, did it? You see, when Jesus called his disciples, his call was a powerful call that caused them to respond so that they left what they were doing and they followed him. The power of Christ called determined the fact that they went and they followed him. You see, beloved, if Christ just offered an invitation, they would not have followed. Can you imagine, who in Israel would have followed a poor, despised man like the Lord Jesus, who was considered to be almost an outcast? A rabbi whose leaders were told, you shouldn't trust at all. He's a cancer in our society. That's what the people, the Jews thought about the Lord Jesus. And yet the disciples, when Jesus called them, they left everything immediately and they followed him. And now Peter says, he says that Jesus has called us, Christian believers. This call that Peter refers to is a powerful call. It is the power by which he frees us in the grasp of our own sinful heart. As Christ can call the world into being like he did in the very beginning with creation, Genesis 1, he is now able to also call us. He's able to call you. He's able to call me to be a new creation. Peter says that Christ does this by his own glory and goodness or virtue. So who is this Christ? Well, you see his glory. You see his glory as the very Son of God. You see His majesty as the one who has created the world in the very beginning. You see His glory as the very Son of God who is good. He alone is morally perfect. Right? His glory, His goodness speak about His great divine majesty. And that means, beloved, the Lord Jesus has the power to also call you sinful human beings who are dead in your sin to a new life. He can free you and the power of sin and evil. And so Peter continues in verse 4. He says, through these, that is through Christ's own glory and goodness, God has given us his very great and precious promises. The great promise God gives in the very beginning was a wonderful promise of salvation already to Adam and Eve after the fall. He gave the promise that he would send a Savior who would come and deliver his people from their corruption to sin. And this is a promise that was now so wonderfully fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus. And it is through the Spirit of Christ that God now comes and he wonderfully works in your hearts and in your lives, beloved. And so what we need to understand is that your growth can never be separated from God's promise, a promise that is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so your spiritual growth can never be separated from your relationship with the Lord Jesus. You understand why and then trying harder to change your life never works? 
Why just reading your Bible more, praying more, going to church more will never work unless you understand the purpose for doing those very things. The focus on those things must always be on growing your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Now, you think that doing those things will... If you think that doing those things is going to make God happy with you, that somehow you are able to appease God's anger because you have followed those rules, then you have not understood what God really desires from your life. God desires, beloved, your heart. Being a Christian is first and foremost entering into this living relationship with the Lord Jesus. And the reality is that the more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more your life will also begin to reflect the very holiness of Christ. When you live every moment of every part of your life in the wonderful awareness of Christ's presence in you, can you imagine, and I'm sure you already experienced it, how that will change everything in your life, how you will see everything in your life? So, for example, if if you do not live with the awareness of Christ's presence in you, then the result is you will live anxiously as you desperately try to control everything in your life because you have to make everything work out the way that you want it to because if it doesn't, it will destroy you. But when you know Christ and you understand, my life doesn't depend on controlling everything because my life is in the hands of my Lord who has saved me. And imagine without Christ, how are you going to overcome envy? How are you going to overcome greed? How are you going to overcome lust in your heart? When you see there are others in this world who enjoy wealth in, 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 in their lives, and we know how quickly we are to jealousy. Without Christ, how do you overcome that? You can't. Because the evil desires of your heart will always go there. Without Christ in your life, you will always live in fear. You'll always be acting as if you need to take care of your own well-being. And beloved, that is simply a burden that is simply too great for anyone to bear. And so, without Christ, you see, the result in your life is you will live a life of fear. You'll be full of anxiety. And there will always be a lack of peace and unrest within you. When you live by faith with the Lord Jesus, Suddenly, a wonderful assurance overcomes you, which I know. I know that I can lean on my Savior also in my time of greatest need. Let me discover the reality that my Savior is there and that He will carry me through the temptations and He will carry me through the troubles and trials of my life. You see, beloved, you need Christ at work in you in order to grow in godliness. Christ lives in you by faith. It will determine everything in your life. It will determine how you're going to live with your spouse. It will determine the way you look at your spouse, in which you no longer look at your spouse as how he or she may serve you, but how you may indeed serve them as Christ has served you. It will determine the way you're going to do your work. No longer look at work as a drudgery or, or you no longer fall into the sinful temptations that might be present at work, but, but you will understand that with Christ, you must also reflect His holiness in the way you do your work, in the way that you carry out your responsibilities. 
With Christ, it would depend, determine also the language that you use. And perhaps language is one of those things where we're a, a great example for showing how we compartmentalize our lives. I was amazed how, even as, as Christians, people who say that, that they believe, they, they go to work and, and there they can use all kinds of filthy language, cursing and swearing and, and unfitting language for a Christian. And, and when they come home, it's like the switch is turned off in which that language is gone and suddenly the whole language changes. And they come to church, the whole language changes. And yet at work, what's happening? We've compartmentalized that part of our life, work that belongs to a different part of our life. And so with Christ, that will also determine all your social activities. It will determine, as I said earlier, you know, the TV programs and the movies that you watch. Not because they're rules, but because of your love for Christ means that you will feel that you will actually become angry when you see many, many of the things that, ha- that, that you see in these things. Spiritual change then comes, does not happen by following certain rules. But beloved, only when you live each day in the presence of your Lord Jesus Christ. Rules will never change your relationship, but it's your relationship with Christ, will never change your life, but it's your relationship with Christ that will change your life. That means that your Bible reading, your worship, your prayer life is something that you do because you love your Lord. And so those things are not, you don't do those things in the first place that you might become better people. But you do those things because you want to better understand the grace and you want to better understand the love, and you want to hear the love, and you want to hear uh, the mercy of God that He reveals to you there in His Scriptures. And you want to speak with, to Him in your prayers. You want to lay before Him your needs. You ever notice how, how you grow much more in your relationship with the Lord Jesus when you lay before Him uh, some struggle that you have with sin, maybe you've fallen into sin and you fall on your knees and you come before the Lord God and you expose your heart to Him. And you expose your heart to Him. That's when, when you feel the closest to your Lord. And you feel closer to your Lord when, when you're speaking heart to heart and you become vulnerable before your God. Then when you can boast before Him about some success in overcoming sin or some success in your life, because then really you don't have a need for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the point here isn't, beloved, that we become better people in the first place, but that we might grow to trust our Lord with our whole heart. So what is the goal in your spiritual life? Is the goal then to become better people, to have a perfect marriage? to have professional success at work, or even to overcome a struggle with sin, maybe with some addiction. Well, of course, as Christians, we, we, we rightly desire such things. But Peter's point is that our goal is that we may participate in the divine nature. What is the value of achieving all those successes in your life if you do not have a close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Peter uses here an odd uh, expression that is unique to him, that has been misunderstood by many. Something that Peter is saying here is that we will participate in God's, uh, when he says we will participate in God's being, means that we become gods like God. But you notice Peter carefully says we will participate in his nature, not in his being, not in his essence. The goal is not that we might all become little gods, 
but that we might all begin to reflect more and more God's nature in our lives. And what is God's nature? It is that He is holy. He is without sin. He is perfectly good in all things. As God is righteous, as God is without sin, so we are being called to be righteous and to be without sin. The Apostle Paul speaks about it with a little different language. Here, Paul speaks about being changed more and more into the image of God so that we might reflect God's holiness. It should become clear then, beloved, that the only way for this radical transformation to take place in your life is through your relationship with the Lord Jesus, who is the only Son of God. Jesus Christ must become your closest companion. He must become, in essence, your friend. So that you may live each day in close communion and fellowship with your Savior. That you live with Him heart to heart. Exposing your heart to Him as He has exposed His heart to you in His Holy Word. And you may wonder, so why does the Lord Jesus, why does the Lord so often speak and warn us about the kinds of friendships that we have? Warn us about having close relationships with evil and wicked people. Now, the Lord does not say that you cannot have interactions with sinners and unbelievers. The Lord Jesus himself says, he says, we are in the world, but he also warns us, but do not be of the world. So, if your closest friends are unbelievers, what's the result? The result is over time, you'll begin to take over their sinful uh, values and their sinful attitudes. It's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ also exhorts us to have fellowship with brothers and sisters. Why we are called to worship together. Why? Because as God's children, we're called to hold one another accountable to the Lord Jesus. Beloved, when you're not building your relationship with Christ, the devil will use that vacuum to enter into your life. And you never, never want to give the devil a foothold in your heart. Because you know the devil isn't going to stop there. He will not be happy until he has destroyed the relationship you have with the Lord Jesus completely. The devil and the evil powers of this world, what they want to do is they want to push the Lord Jesus out of your life. The goal for our spiritual growth, beloved, is that we might grow closer to our Savior. Peter, in the next verses, will speak about... And through the power of Christ and the Spirit, we are to grow in godliness. Because Christ is in me, therefore you and I, we have the resources that we may grow in a godly life. Peter first shows us this growth is only possible, beloved, when you participate in the life of your Lord Jesus Christ. What a joy the Lord gives us. And what a joy the Lord gives you when each day you may live in the awareness of His presence within you. You know, Jesus is my companion. He's my friend who understands me, who knows me, who loves me. He's my Lord. And He's my Savior. And the day, the day is fast approaching when He will come. And He will deliver us from the corruption of this world. And, he, and, he, and when he will again bring us into the glorious kingdom of his God. Brothers and sisters, we cling then also to that promise that in Christ Jesus you have that glorious hope 
of the life everlasting in the kingdom of your God. Amen.